Joining me today is the president of the Herzl Institute in Jerusalem, the director of the John Templeton Foundation's project in Jewish philosophical theology, and the author of several books, including The Virtue of Nationalism. Yoram Hazoni, welcome to the Rubin Report. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I am glad to have you here because, as I said to you in the green room just a moment ago, you're one of about 12 people that I see on Twitter that doesn't completely enrage me. You actually make a little bit of sense on that Twitter machine. Uh, that, that's the highest compliment I could possibly pay anyway. That, that, that's a pretty serious compliment. And I don't know how many people would agree with you, but I'm, <laughs> I, I'm glad finally to meet with that background. That's, that, that's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. So, okay. So before we get into the book, and it's called The Virtue of Nationalism, and just even just saying the word nationalism sort of sets bells off for a lot of people. So we're going we're gonna to kind of uh, quantify and qualify what that word actually means. Uh, you were born in Israel. You live in Jerusalem now. Tell me a little bit uh, about your background. Well, in between the being born in Israel and living in Jerusalem, I actually, you can, you can hear that my accent. You're American educated. It's not a fully Israeli accent. Yeah. <laughs> but, so I, I, I grew up in, uh, in Princeton, New Jersey, and uh, w went to school there, met my wife there. Uh, uh, did a doctorate at uh, Rutgers nearby in, in, in political theory. Mm -hmm. And um, and then uh, Julie and I moved to Israel. We uh, I worked for a while for, for Netanyahu for a few years, uh, quite, quite a while ago already, uh, and then set up a, uh, a, a conservative think tank called the Shalem Center, which uh, did about 20 years of of work trying to figure out what Israeli and Jewish conservatism would would be like, we have nine kids, and uh, which is probably the the the, the biggest achievement. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been kind of pulled back. You've you've noticed in the last few years pulled back into American and European uh, issues because you know from for most of my life I felt like Israel was the front lines and that you know that that's where I was really needed. And these days, like for the first time in my life, I feel that you know I'm. America and Europe are actually kind of in worse shape than Israel is. So yeah, w what do you mean by that? How was how Israel at the front lines where that's now shifted? Well, it, Israel used to be a, uh, I mean, it still is to an extent, a, uh, a strong, and uh, I'm sorry, a, a small and struggling country um, in, in a sense, like it, the, the edge between uh, the, the order of the Western world and kind of, kind of uh, uh, chaotic bedlam and needed a little, uh, needed a lot of help in order to strengthen itself. Uh, America looked fine for most of that time and uh, today I think the situation's almost flipped where uh, Israel is the strongest that it's ever been and in a lot of ways uh, has, has, has defeated many of its uh, uh, of the problems that Dog did in the last generation, um, and uh, and America's fraying, and and the, the UK is fraying, and you know I, I don't have to tell you. I mean, it's not like uh, Israel is 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 going to do well if if you know the entire West kind of d disintegrates. So, um, so I've spent the, the the last few years, uh, and that, that's how we know each other through through through, uh, through Twitter and. And uh, uh, writings that are directed in trying to uh, to help America and the UK and other other Western countries with the issues that I think are facing them now. Yeah. So we're going to spend most of the interview, obviously, talking about those sure. issues. But nine kids living in Jerusalem. <laughs> what, what's living in Jerusalem like? I feel like it's probably maybe not probably maybe maybe exactly the most misunderstood place 
on planet Earth for good reason. This episode of the Rubin Report comes to you with support from our friends over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. In the Second Amendment, the Founding Fathers guaranteed an individual the right to protect themselves. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility, and building rifles is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago, Bravo Company Manufacturing, or BCM for short, builds a professional-grade product which is built to combat standards. This is because BCM believes that the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless if they're a private citizen or a professional. Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, it'll be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or soldier overseas, so quality is of utmost value to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin, to a life-saving standard. BCM has always put people before products. They build their products because they feel it's their moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the end user when it's not just a paper target, but someone coming to do them harm. Because of this, BCM knows that making reliable, life-saving tools is only half the story. They also work with leading instructors of marksmanship from top levels of America's special operations forces. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com, where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. Need more convincing? Find out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. And now back to the show. Oh, gosh. I mean, it's... it's, uh in in some ways it's just a dream you know i mean i i, I walk on friday night with my uh, uh we, we have uh, uh twin twin 10 year olds and i walk with them to synagogue we walk down the hill to synagogue and uh and you can see the whole city from from where we are cuz it's kind of on a hill and um and uh you know for 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 a jew it's a, it, it's really kind of a miracle that after um, a couple of thousand years in which my, uh, my ancestors were, were praying, please God, bring us back so that one day we'll be able to, you know, to, to, to see the, the, the Jews return to Jerusalem. And we actually get to see it. So it's, it's incredibly moving and it never loses its, its magic. But, um, you know, on the other hand, it's also, you know, it's also a very real place in, in, a, in, in a very real political location. And um, uh, today, everything is basically, you know, quiet and peaceful in Jerusalem pretty much all the time. But, um, you know, just if you go, go, go back just to the mid-2000s, uh, we had a period where there were literally bombs going off in the cafes and the buses of, of the city every day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when uh, Israel invaded uh, Bethlehem um, to put in an end to this. My, my wife and I, then we were living on the southern part of the city. And, um, you know, we walked hand in hand up to a hill from which we could see the, the uh, Israeli armor a- entering the city and the, the tanks shooting. And we, I mean, it's like what you see on television, except we just sat there and, and watched it with, with our own eyes. Hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, we had six months at that time in which we had helicopter helicopters patrolling over our house every night, and uh, and and so it's both things. It's both um, the it, it, 
it's both the, the front lines of civilization and, uh, and you can feel the fragility of you know, what we've built. We can, you can feel that it's fragile and, and know that nothing is certain about what's going to happen next mm. on the one hand. On the other hand, it, you know, you, it, on a daily basis, you're connecting to a history of thousands of years and to uh, you know, biblical hopes and aspirations that, you know, that, that for, for, for people in, in America, it's mostly school books, but for, for you know, the th things that you, you learn as a kid in, in, in school mm -hmm. or in Sunday school or someplace, but, uh, or you hear from your grandparents, but here we're really doing it. We're really uh, recreating a, uh, a Jewish country after thousands of years. So uh, it's, it's the highs and the lows, and, and it's an extraordinary life. Do you think in a weird way that the, the threat of bombings or terrorism or whatever else is going on or the general seemingly existential threat because it's such a small country actually helps the ingenuity that comes out of Israel? Because I remember I was there a few years ago during the stabbing sprees and I went right into the old city of Jerusalem and, you know, my mom was texting me, you know, you, you don't have to go there and I just went right in. And I remember there was a certain tension, you know, it was kind of looking around, but I went into the Arab quarter and I walked through the gate and somebody had just been stabbed there the day before. And I thought, you just, you just have to keep going. If people can live like this, I can certainly do it for one day of my life or a couple hours of my life. Yeah, I, I, first of all, I'm, I'm real pleased that you did that. You know, a lot of people just get scared. And, 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 and you know, seeing something, seeing something on television, seeing some violence, and then deciding you're gonna li live your life, you're gonna decide where you're gonna go and, and what you're gonna do and what you're gonna say beca because you saw something on TV and got scared. I, I, I mean, I understand it, but, but I don't think it's the best way to live. And um, it, Well, you can also see that these people live on top of each other. These quarters are right on top right. of each other. And I had Kanafa in the Arab quarter, and I had Falafel in the Jewish quarter, and everyone's existing and, right. and not killing each other. I mean, right. that's the truth. Right, they, they, uh, they do. Uh, but our, you know, our future depends on, on you know, countless little acts of, of you know, of bravery like that. Like, I, I'm not going to be deterred. I'm, I'm going to go eat, I'm going to go eat that falafel. I'm going to lead a normal life here. That's what builds the normal life, is, is people like you saying that. So, uh, it, it, it's, uh, th there really is a, uh, a, a daily effort which, um, uh, which is built on countless small acts of, uh, uh, of bravery. And, uh, um, there, there's a Talmudic, uh, Famous Talmudic saying, "Haaretz niknet bisurim," that uh, the the land is only um, won uh, through hardship, and these are little tiny hardships that you know some 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 something scared you, something feels feel, feels uh, uncomfortable, but you're going to do the right thing anyway. It's hmm. good. It's it, it it it's good to live that way. It's good to live not afraid. Well said. All right, so let's talk about nationalism, because right. as I said, if you just say the word nationalism, or if you say I'm a nationalist or anything like that, the connotations or the implications are that you're somehow racist, you're xenophobic, all of these things. So first off, can you just define, at least in your view, what nationalism is? Sure. Um, I, I actually, I, I grew up in a nationalist house, you know, meaning like, like many Israelis do, and it's not just Israelis. Uh, people in India, people in Ireland. There's a lot of countries in the world where where people still remember that a national movement is uh, is 
uh, a struggle against empire. And so it's a struggle for, for freedom and, and, and it still has good connotations. Um, so in, in those kinds of traditions, uh, which I draw on in, in, in my book, nationalism is uh, understood to be a, a, a principled standpoint that sees the world as governed best uh, when it consists of many independent nations. So each, each nation will have its, its own laws, its own traditions, its own uh, language and religious uh, customs and will live independently without being forced to live a certain way uh, by, 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 by other nations. Mm -hmm. by, right? And this is, now, this is basically how we've viewed the world for the last hundred years or so, right? I mean, yeah. most relatively sane people, that there are countries and they have borders and they're um, different, they can yeah, negotiate together. Or? Right, but it's, it, but, but, but it's not, uh, um, it, it, it's an, th this way of viewing the world is about three or four hundred years uh, old in its current version. In, in the book I actually argue that, uh, that, that this is a biblical ideal, right? You, you don't find the, the Greeks or the Romans uh, painting a picture of a world of independent nations. That that vision of a world of independent nations is a is something that inherits. Uh, I'm sorry that that enters our inheritance uh, from uh, from Hebrew Bible, and then it appears throughout you know throughout Western history in various forms in uh, in in various parts of Christian Christian history. So, in its current form, the the, the feeling of a just world, a free world, is one of competition among independent peoples. Um, it, it's about, depending on how you count, it's about three or four hundred years old. The first, the first country in Europe to, to, um, to explicitly declare independence is, uh, is uh, England in 1534. Um, Henry, Henry VIII says, we're not even formally going to be part of the Holy Roman Empire anymore. We're just we're just independent. We're doing our own thing, and that that model was picked up by uh, by the Dutch, by the Scots, by the Swiss, by the French, by ver various others, and uh, and then becomes kind of the basis for a uh, an ordering of the world where where this became more and more the intuition. Of course, there were plenty of you know plenty of empires during those times and lots of injustice and and I, I don't want to turn it into like some kind of you know utopia or something. It wasn't. But slowly, the the idea that there's something good about allowing nations to 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 go their own way and to be free, that that did become the common common sense view, and still was up until up until World War II. I think it was really only in the 1960s that um, that academics and intellectuals really turned against against this idea and began arguing that nationalism is just you know, it was just an evil. Right, so what shifted then in the 1960s? Because when you talk about nations with borders that can decide what they do within their borders and that people can have a nationalism that they can be proud of that isn't xenophobic or racist or the rest of it, I think that makes sense to most people. Right. Uh, it is, you said common sense. It strikes me as common sense. So what happened in the 60s? Was that sort of a latent period after World War II that it, these ideas bubbled it, up through it, academia? It, 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 it's, it's all about the trauma of World War One and World War Two, mm -hmm. it, it, it's all about that. And um, the uh, beginning immediately after World War Two, um, there were uh, Marxists and there were liberals who said, uh, "Look, Hitler's a nationalist," and, and it's true that Hitler called himself a nationalist. I mean, it, Hitler called himself a nationalist, but he's actually an imperialist mm -hmm. because of, 
from the very beginning, his goal was not for Germany to, you know, to, to be independent. His goal was for Germany to become, as he said, uh, Lord of the Earth, mm-hmm. mistress of the globe. So Hitler's not, not you know, our traditional idea of a nationalism. Right, so that's a misunderstanding of right. nationalism right there, right? right. Because yes. if he had been a, if just if he had been a nationalist by the strict definition, then he wouldn't have wanted to do anything outside of right. the Right, so, so he would have been terrible for Germany, mm-hmm. but not necessarily uh, uh, starting a uh, world war with France and England and Russia and everybody else. Mm-hmm. He would have been terrible for Germany anyway, but, but you can't call him a nationalist, according to my tradition, if his dream, his aspiration is not the freedom of his people, his dream, you know, uh, among other people's, his aspiration is to, is to rule the globe. Right, was an expanding uh, Right, empire. okay, so, uh, so imperialism versus nationalism, that, that's for people who are nationalists, instead of critics of nationalism, for people who are nationalists, that, that's the big divide, um, is are you looking, are you willing to give the respect of self-determination to many nations like your own, um, or, or are, 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 are you really just looking to conquer the world? So after World War II, um, various uh, uh, anti-nationalist theories that hadn't succeeded in, in getting traction up until then got a huge boost from the fact that, that Hitler was a national socialist and, mm-hmm. and, and that when he spoke about imperialism, used the word nationalism. And... Um, and um, the the academic intellectual culture, let's say it was still still producing defense of of nationalism against imperialism still through the 1950s. But by the time you get to the 1960s, you get um, Eli Kadori, who's a, 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 a famous pro-imperialist scholar, who. Um, uh, wrote a book called Nationalism, which is kind of an anti-nationalist manifesto that uh, blames nationalism for both world wars and uh, and says it's un it, it, it's unworkable. For all of the arguments that that are familiar to people today are, are already in Kaduri's uh, work that. Uh, that the divisions among peoples by creating independent states, you create borders. Borders are 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 uh, always something people argue about. That itself produces wars and triggers wars. And 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 then the uh, the thinking that your country is great, right? Making your nation great again. That that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That it uh, the argument is that that kind of nationalism necessarily produces hatred and uh, hatred, violence, war, intolerance. It kind of takes all of the, you know, the worst things of, of, of recent centuries in the past and pins it on, on this, this one word and this one idea. Have you ever heard a loved one say, I wish this double chin would just go away? This Mother's Day, your wish is our command with Genucel's outrageous Mother's Day sale. Double chin, sagging jawlines, and turkey necks are real problems. Until now. Introducing the Genucel jawline treatment formulated with MDL technology. Robin S. from Lubbock, Texas wrote, I put that jawline cream on my neck like two or three days ago. That is the best my neck has looked in over 20 years. Several people told me my face looks young. I'm blown away. Sure, you could use expensive or harsh treatments to look younger, but why would you do that? From now until Mother's Day, the Genucel jawline treatment is yours absolutely free when you order the classic Genucel for eye bags and puffiness. And with its instant effects, see results in the first 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. Go 
to GenuCell.com, that's GenuCell.com, or text Ruben to 77453 for a surprise Mother's Day premium gift with all orders. Text Ruben to 77453 or visit GenuCell.com, that's GenuCell.com. And now back to the show. So if that's not the case, how did these ideas then pick up? Is this just sort of where we see this now in academia where they just sort of pick ideas that they sort of all agree on are true and then it just runs throughout the, the universities and then eventually trickles then up get, to the media? Yeah, and, and, the and, and then get, gets broadcast. The universities are, um, are a hothouse for the development of ideas, which is, you know, in, in principle is a really, is a really <laughs> right, wonderful... That's supposed to be good. Right, right? in principle <laughs> it's a really wonderful thing. Yeah. But, uh, but because uh, academia is overwhelmingly, I mean, you know, consists of um, uh, uh, a debate between kind of neo-Marxists uh, who, who want to, you know, who, who's, whose aim is to, to achieve justice by undermining pretty much all inherited ideas one after another. So there's that. And then there's, there's the great majority of academics who are, uh, who are liberals. And, and don't necessarily, you know, agree with the neo-Marxism, but it turns out that they're not very good at, uh, at, uh, at, at, at resisting it. So academia ends up being a, um, um, a fight between two universalist visions, and they're both utopian. One is, is a neo-Marxist universalist vision, which is utopian, and the other is a liberal universalist vision, which is utopian. Mm -hmm. And... Ideas that are like nationalism, um, that are particularist, that are arguing for uh, the, the, the goodness of uh, the justice of, of defending your own people, looking out for their interests, their tradition, their culture, that kind of thing violates the universalism of both the Marxists and the liberals. Right, so have we watched sort of the failure of liberalism here? So if the neo-Marxists and the postmodernists, even if they're a smaller percentage at the universities right. than the liberals, that the liberals somehow, I mean, this is what I've been trying to noodle through for the last couple of years now, that the liberals somehow didn't have enough to stand on to, to stop the bad ideas of the neo-Marxists. Yeah, exactly. You, and you, and you, can, you can actually see why, because, because um, uh, the, the neo-Marxists have... have I mean, the, the, the agenda evolves and it develops, but, but it's always um, a, you know, very clear uh, picking, out, picking out of ideas that need to be destroyed and uprooted, picking out of, you know, institutions that need to be destroyed and uprooted. They're, they're, they're constantly saying, to get justice, then, uh, you know, we need to overthrow this, that, and the other thing. And the liberals, their response is, um, no, everybody just should be free to do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, I'm very sympathetic to that, but... <clears throat> but, when but, that, but you say it's not enough, it's not, it's not enough. When that's the contest, one side is saying, here's a really clear agenda for, for what we got to do in order to, 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 to fix the problems in the world. And the, the liberals are always some one form or another of saying, well, no, let's just everybody, everybody should do whatever they want. And that, that's not good enough. If, you, if you're fighting a strong vision of you know, what would be right, you need, an, you need to counter it with a strong vision or you'll lose. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. I mean, that's what I'm seeing right now with, with the liberals in the United States. It's like this, this ever uh, dissipating group of people that are sort of standing on quicksand because the left, the neo-Marxists, have sort of taken over the Democratic Party and all the apparatus of the left. 
And then you have liberals who now mostly secretly agree with conservatives in a lot of ways, right. but they can't, but they're afraid to say that. And uh -huh. then they're, they're just, we're just watching them whittle away. It's, it's, it's sad to me in, in many ways for the, for the ideas that I care most about. Well, we, we don't know how it's gonna, don't, don't get too sad. You know, we're really bad at predicting what's, yeah. what's, gonna, what's gonna happen. People are just bad at it. So um, we, we gotta figure out what's worth, worth fighting for. And we may win, we may lose, but you know, it, it, it's, um, um, it's a mistake to think that we know how it's all gonna turn out. We, we, we just don't, right? Yeah. No, nobody, well, no, if we knew, I wouldn't be doing this. So. <laughs> and nobody predicted the, 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 the collapse of the Soviet Union or almost nobody, and, and nobody predicted the, 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 the rise of, of Brexit and Trump and nationalism now or the, 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 the housing bubble. We're just, we're terrible at, at seeing the future. What we gotta do is we, we've gotta think strategically about um, what kinds of ideas are out there and what's needed and we need to work to build up um, a, an alternative framework that's going to be more conservative and more attractive and, 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 and capable of, of, of rallying people, which, which I, I think liberalism is, is less and less capable of doing these days. So, and I've seen you do some Twitter threads on, on this sort of thought, so I obviously want to talk about Trump and Brexit and how they fit into this conversation, but so if, if liberalism has a certain... Uh, fault here. What are the answers that conservatism has that you would say could stop some of the rise of this neo-Marxist right. well, stuff? Conservatism, the word conservatism refers to, to different political movements which are, which are tradition-based. They're traditionalist. Um, so conservatism is not, it's, it's not a universal theory. So it's, it's not like Marxism or, or liberalism where you, you take a Marxist or a liberal and they'll tell you um, how the whole world should think, you know, in all times, in all ages, every place in the world. Conservatism is not like that because, it because uh, being a traditionalist means, you know, I may, I may respect more or less the traditions of, uh, of, of the Russians or the Chinese or the, 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 the Indians or the Germans, but, but all those tradi each, each one of them is different, right? So, uh, so I, some of them I'll like more and some of them I'll like less. In, in the American context, or let's say the Anglo-American context, to be a conservative means a specific thing. It means to, be, uh, to believe that the Anglo-American political traditions, political and religious traditions, are a, 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 an extraordinary achievement. That they, that they are one of the, 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 the greatest, if not the greatest, one of the greatest traditions um, that have ever been developed in mankind's history and that most of um, what we value in, in the, what we love about the modern world, uh, wh whether it's uh, uh, the, the, the idea of, of limited government or uh, individual liberties or, uh, or the, 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 the kind of science that, that grows out of uh, uh, out of Newton, or the kind of culture that grows out of, you know, a common sense skepticism. Um, all of these things, they're, they're, they're part of the Anglo-American uh, inheritance of uh, an empiricist attitude towards knowledge, uh, a common law tradi tra tradition which is not based on, on universal rights, but, but which pioneered uh, freedom of speech and freedom of, of, uh, uh, of um, 
of, of property. In fact, mo mo most of, of what's in the American uh, Bill of Rights is these traditional English, uh, English rights, which were not developed by liberals. They were developed by conservatives fighting against, uh, against the authoritarianism of, uh, let's say, the Stuarts. Um, so when we talk about conservatism, we're, we're not talking about um, there's uh, one set of ideas that are et eternally always true. We're talking about a tradition of a certain nation or group of nations, which by trial and error, right, so it's empirical, right, by trial and error over, uh, over centuries, over thousands of years, in fact, mm -hmm. have succeeded in uh, developing and stumbling upon things that are just spectacular and that are kind of a gift to to the rest of, of mankind. And today what, what, what we're seeing is that the, the educational institutions, rather than saying, um, look, let's take a look at the traditions of this nation and, uh, and you know, the, the thousands of years of development going all the way back to the Bible, let's see how it contributed to uh, the things that, that we care about. That, that's what a conservative would do, would say, what contributed to, to the things we care about and how can we strengthen those strands in the tradition, both nationally and also in our, in, in our personal lives? How can we live as conservative people who, mm -hmm. who, who raise children to respect the things that should be respected? That's what conservatives focus on. And so they're playing, a, conservatives are always playing a completely different game from from liberals, liberals are trying to trying to tell you some abstract set of rules that if everybody were to follow them, then everything would be great. And conservatives say there is no such abstract set of rules that if everybody followed them, everything would be great. What there is is um, nations handing down a way of life, which have some good things about them, some bad things about them. But but everything that's good about them is coming down from that tradition. So we need to be working on strengthening it and, 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 uh, and, and, and improving it. So as we're watching what I would say is sort of the collapse of liberalism on the left, and now there's sort of all of these refugees, many of whom have been in this very studio and who watch this show. There are refugees that I think are moving to something that is center-right, which I see is rich with ideas and debate and all of these things. I think a lot of people have some fear. If you've come from the left, they have some fear that there's some sort of religious connotation attached to conservatism. Now, you just explained a little bit of the history of that. Um, but do you think there's room for a, a secular conservatism? Can that, can that fit within there? Look, it, it, it's a great question, and, and there's, no, there's no simple answer to it, because um, uh, I, let me say some, one thing that's really simple. You don't have to become uh, an Orthodox Christian or an Orthodox Jew in order to take part in, uh, in this great inheritance, which is your inheritance. Okay, it's a, it's a different question to say, is it actually possible to uh, sanitize it of all religious aspects? That, that I'm, I, I'm more doubtful. So let's take, take an, an, an example that's relate, related to this book. Um, uh, th I mentioned earlier that the, the um, th the idea of national independence is a biblical idea. Um, the, the Romans didn't believe in national independence. The Greeks didn't believe in national independence. I mean, it, 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 it has a source, and its source is in, uh, in this tradition that says that, you know, 
the God of Israel, God, of, God creator of heaven and earth is speaking to Moses. And unlike all the other gods of the ancient Middle East, this particular God does not order his people to go out and conquer the four corners of the earth, which is what the, the gods of the Assyrians and the mm -hmm. Babylonians were doing. God of that, that's a pretty big sea change from what was happening before that. It's an, it's an incredible, I mean, that, in, in a, in, at a certain level, that's what the, that's what the Hebrew Bible is about. It's a it, it it's about is there some alternative to uh, to living these these little tribes that are constantly at war each other or bringing peace and prosperity by having you know the Babylonians conquer the entire world, the four corners of the earth, as they as, as they used to say, and uh, and so here the. The, the God of Israel speaks to Moses, and, and even though he's, he's the creator of heaven and earth, and he's the God of everything, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't tell Abraham, he doesn't tell Moses, go, go out and conquer the whole world. He gives them borders. The first, as far as we know, the first borders any God ever gave his people. He says, here are your borders, and you're not allowed to cross them. You're not allowed to go trouble the, the, the neighbors, because they have, they have their own land, and their own promise, and their own way. Now, this is, this is a, a huge revolution in political thought, but, but at the same time also, also in theology, that, that there could be a God that cares about all humanity, but what he wants is, is each, different, each different nation to, 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 you know, to, to have its own freedom. Now, take that as an example. That's, that's something that I think it's very difficult to, to have an Anglo-American conservatism that uproots that biblical heritage. Mm -hmm. Okay, now that, that doesn't dictate, you know, what you know what you believe on every subject just because you're conservative. Right. But but if you don't have some kind of if you don't have a sense that there's something incredibly important that needs to be honored and hand, handed down in that tradition, then it's gonna be real hard for you to be a conservative. So how do you make room then? So I get it. So on a on a macro level you're saying you need the, that those underpinnings. On the micro level, for the individual that comes across that maybe that either isn't religious or or for gay people or anyone that's that's sort of the outsider, uh, how can they say, all right, well, I can fit into this this conservative idea? Well, in different look, different times, different periods of history, um, uh, there were tighter and looser. Um, um, more inclusive and less inclusive versions of the traditions that we're talking about. Uh, this is, I, I think this is a, a, an important common, very common misconception about conservatism is that often people who are not conservatives assume that the traditions are monolithic, that they dictate one answer on every question. You know, this, the, the tradition is this uh, authoritarian thing. It, it's always been the same. It has, you know, it has a catechism, and uh, and you, you just have to believe and do whatever you're told. And if you don't, then then you're out. I, I think that's a completely, uh, it's almost a propagandistic view mm -hmm. of the way traditions actually work. The way traditions actually work is that that of course a strong tradition um, does um, uh, does seek to inculcate norms. When I, say, when I say norms, I mean uh, the thing that it would be best to do or the thing that it would be best to be. Mm -hmm. But being, uh, the, the fact that a tradition hands down certain norms, first of all, there's huge arguments within the tradition about what those norms are, uh -huh. right? I mean, the, the traditions themselves are, 
very often very pluralistic internally. And then even if you're not part of that pluralism, there's, there's additional layers. There's the, 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 there's, there's the things that, uh, that are uh, strongly encouraged and then the things that are slightly encouraged and then the things that are tolerated and then there, the, then there are things, things that are, uh, are, are, are considered problematic but, but uh, you leave them alone for now. And then there are things that, that the tradition you know, goes after and tries to, uh, to say, look, that, that's really going to ruin us. Right. Murdering people is a bit much. Right. So, um, so I, I think that the more conservative you become and the more you study what conservatism really is as opposed to, you know, the cartoon version of it that we get in, in you know, most academic courses on the subject, let's say, or, 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 or on television, when, when, when you study it, of course you'll find things in the past that, you know, that, that, uh, that you'll see as, uh, as terrible. Nobody's pretending that's not the case. Mm -hmm. But a tradition is something that uh, is always internally, internally pluralistic. Um, it has different levels of space that it makes for different, different kinds of, of, uh, of dissidents. And, you know, for, for, for example, the, the, the English tradition is, um, it's, it's often accused of being anti-Catholic. And, and you'll notice that its relationship with, uh, with, uh, with Judaism is not the same as its relationship with Catholicism. Why? P because because the, the periods that we're talking about are periods in which Catholicism was, uh, uh, was the official ideology of a world empire that was trying to conquer, conquer the English and prevent them from being independent. And I'm not saying everything that was done in the name of, of defending against this you know, was, for, was perfectly well executed, but you have to, I think, use some common sense. A, a, a nation that's facing a world empire that has a certain religion that is, that, that it, that's its formal ideology, well, of, of course they're not mm -hmm. going to treat Catholics the same way that they're going to treat other dissidents. But I, I think people are always looking to looking at the past to see, um, uh, oh, gotcha, look, they, uh, they persecuted this and that and the mm -hmm. other thing. And, if, and, and, and usually it's true. But they're not looking at the way in which, um, in which uh, dissidents did in fact uh, flourish increasingly over the millennia un under these, uh, these different, um, uh, different, different kinds of regimes. I mean, the fact is we Jews are still here. I mean, there was plenty of persecution. There's plenty to complain about, but the fact is that we're still here, and it, and 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 that 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 means that there were uh, times and places throughout the history of Christianity and Islam where uh, where the Jews had more or less status, more or less tolerance, more or less co contribution in 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 society. Um, and I so I, I I would say that with regard to conservatism today. Um, we're in any case in a period where, where what we're trying to do is we're trying to salvage what we can, all right? I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's gonna succeed, mm -hmm. but um, as a conservative, the, the map that I face is today is virtually every major idea or concept or ideal that was handed down from the past has been savagely attacked and, and maybe overthrown in the last few generations. So I, I, I'm, I'm talking about the idea of the nation, the idea of the family, 
the, the, uh, the, the, the ideas of man and woman, of God and scripture, of uh, holiness, of, of honor. I mean, you could just keep going and going. I mean, anything that, that, that I think created the things that are good in our world today, that, 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 that really worked, is now being savaged and, and destroyed. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for allies. I'm, I'm not look, looking for, for enemies. I'm, yeah. I, mean, I've, 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 I hear I, you. I have enough. I mean, the, 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 the people who are, uh, and, and, and it's, it's many, the, the, the ones who are actively, purposely destroying these things and the ones who are just going along with mm-hmm. it. I mean, that, that's most of our culture. So, um, you know, I, 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 would, I would be real grateful for uh, a willingness to have conversation with anybody who's willing to, uh, to try to, uh, to, to work out a contemporary conservatism that could do some good and that would be you know, as inclusive as possible. All right then, so let's take this conversation into the modern world. There's a couple things happening right now that sort of fit, <laughs> right. well, that you talk about in the book, but that, that fit perfectly for this conversation. So let's talk about Trump first. People describe him as a nationalist. He talks about America first. As far as I can tell, he doesn't want to nation build all over the world and, and expand American empire everywhere. Um, that's sort of your kind of nationalism, right? Yeah, it is. I, I, I think on nationalism, Trump, Trump is, is excellent. I mean, he's, he's, not just, uh, he's not just looking for ways, you know, and this is, you know, whether you think that he's finding the right ways or proposing the right ways, his, his, the, his theme is he's looking for ways to try to, uh, to think about America as a nation rather, as, rather than as a world empire. We need to come back to that in a second. Okay. But, but, with, um, but then he goes and he speaks in front of the United Nations, right? And he says, look, I'm not just saying um, that m- my job is America first. I'm talking to all the nations. I'm saying, look, each of you, you're elected by a, pu- a certain public or you represent a certain public. And, and your job is to take care of those people. And th- I, I think that's that's exactly the kind of, uh, of, of, of nationalism we should be thinking Do, about. Does that right there show you how crazy things have gotten at the academic level? Because even when he says that, that we should just think about ourselves first, that somehow is thought of as xenophobic or, or racist or something like that. And it really, anyone, if you really sat in it and thought about right. it for a second, or maybe if you, if you remove Trump's personality or whatever it is, but if you thought about just what he's saying, that Americans should care about America first and look, what happens within the, our borders first. It, it's sensible. I mean, as you said at the it, beginning, it, it's it, common it, sense. It's sensible. Look, the, p- people in the United States are, are convinced that they have some kind of uh, uniquely crazy thing going on because of who Trump <laughs> is. I, I actually, I, I think this is actually just not true. I mean, if you go, just, just, just go look at the UK, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. You think that things are any less crazy in the UK than they are in we'll the United States? We'll get to Brexit in a minute. No, no, yeah. but, but yeah. It, it, it's, uh, just look at a, a, a sister democracy with, in a lot of ways, a very, uh, a very similar culture. And the, uh, the, the elites, I'm talking about the universities, the media, um, the uh, um, a, a lot of the, the 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 career politicians and bureaucrats. There's this layer of people who are are they're just as crazy against uh, 
any kind of uh, indications of uh, of nationalism and national independence in the UK as as they are in America. Mm -hmm. So it's not Trump didn't cause this craziness. Trump is 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 actually more of an effect than he is a cause. The craziness predates him. The craziness begins with. I mean, it has a long history, but let's say roughly. The craziness begins roughly in 1989 when the, um, when the Soviet Union falls, the Berlin Wall falls, and America, which had, had spent most of its, not, not all, but most of its um, uh, two centuries of independence, arguing for the virtue of independent nations, right? Being mostly on that side of things, mm -hmm. right? When, the, when, 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 the, when the, the Americans were broadcasting their radio broadcasts into Europe during World War II, what were they, right. what were they broadcasting? They were broadcasting, <laughs> you've been conquered by like the evil empire <clears throat> and we're coming to free the nations of Europe so that then they will be able to live independently. That was right. like... We're, we're not coming to make our little satellite right. nations. We're not coming to be, you know, a better empire mm -hmm. to conquer you and rule you. Right? So, so at the time it was clear, and I think mo most, most... People probably don't realize how incredibly unique that is, right? That a country would go halfway across the world to do that. Right, it's a, it's a, it's a very special thing. You know, and we can, we can talk about... But it, it, this, this goes back to your religion point. When FDR, on the eve of World War II, right? His, his, FDR gives his... Uh, uh, in, Jan in January 1939, he, he has a State of the Union address where he's, he, he can already see that America is going to go to war against, uh, against the fascists and maybe the communists too. And, and, and he describes what it is that we're, what is it we Americans are fighting for? What are we going to be fighting for? And he, he says, first of all, for our religion. And then from our religion comes our democracy and our willingness to have comedy among nations. But he says, first and foremost, religion. In fact, he calls the allied nations, he calls them the God-fearing democracies. Right. T today, nobody would say that. Right? T t no, nobody would understand that FDR and, and the people then thought they were fighting for God-fearing countries against atheist totalitarians. Nobody thinks like that anymore. But, but, but that's what it was. All right, so so if, if we go back to um, uh, where does this willingness to allow other nations their freedom come from, FDR at least knows that it comes... It, that it comes from from Christianity, that it comes from Judaism and Christianity, but to go back to 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 uh, to the, the the current crisis, we've got elites that uh, after 1989, and it doesn't matter if they call themselves liberal or conservative. I, I mean, almost all of them: Democrats, Republicans, Labour, Conservative in the UK, and almost all the parties in Europe w went after this utopian dream of. One law to cover mm -hmm. the entire earth. Uh, uh, George H.W. Bush called it the New World Order. Like, if you're a nationalist, you, you hear this kind of thing. It just sends a chill down yeah, your spine. Yeah, the bells are all going right? off. Right, the bells yeah. go, go off. What? That, that's why America won the Cold War, was to, was to impose order on the entire planet, and now America's going to decide. I mean, that was, that, that was really kind of a kooky moment. And not only that, but, but, but Bush's, that, that One World Order, order speech, I mean, he, he had a few of them, but... But the particular One World Order speech, you know, he says explicitly, for a thousand generations, mankind has been struggling to reach this moment. 
It's like this utopian thing. Mm. A thousand generations we've been struggling to reach this moment, but, but, but all the previous generations have failed and now we're gonna succeed. What are we gonna succeed in? He says, we're going to eliminate the, the law of the jungle and replace it by the rule of law. Right. It, it, I mean, it's it's like this, you know, John Lennon stuff. Like mm -hmm. the, the 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 entire planet is going to be this borderless thing under a single mm -hmm. under a single law. And we'll all somehow automatically love each other. And right. We, we won't war with each other, and we're going to have because you know, the all whole common be, because the whole past was you know based on ignorance and darkness and <clears> illusion. <throat> that you know there was nothing good back there. And I mean, he didn't explicitly no. say that, but that, that, that's the clear implication. But it's funny that it's a very neo-Marxist idea coming out it's, of it's, George H.W. It, it, it absolutely People, Nobody would really think it, that. It, it absolutely is. But that's, I mean, if you're, sometimes you hear conservatives like me say, look, it, it's all just liberalism, right? It, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what, what label they put on it because, because the, the, the fact is that, that all the el elites at the top of all of these uh, academic institutions and 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 uh, political parties, they they had all these disagreements among one another. But the, right, they disagreed. They fought. They, they they had election campaigns. But they but but they weren't disagreeing about the fundamentals. The fundamental was, we liberals in the West, we know how to run the world. We've got the answer. Like all you need to do is you know take to take the way America runs and or or or, or Germany or whatever you want. And, uh, and apply it to every country in the world, to every nation in the world, but if necessary, by force, will dictate the rules. There's gonna be rules for the whole planet. And if somebody does something wrong, then we start bombing them. Which, I mean, that's, uh, it's simplistic, but that's roughly a description of an entire generation of American and, and, uh, and, 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 and European political thought. So that would be the like world. the neoconservatives, basically, right? Well, they're, they're just one strand. I mean, you'll, 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 you'll notice that the, 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 the neoconservatives uh, may, may have been arguing, right, for, let's say, invade, invade Iraq and, and Afghanistan, whereas uh, liberals in Europe might have been saying, no, don't invade Iraq and Afghanistan. So there's substantive disagreements, but what they're not disagreeing about is that the European ideal of eliminate all the borders, mm -hmm. right? A, 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 uh, the, 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 the European Union uh, founded in 1992 in, 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 it, in its current form, meaning right after the Berlin Wall fell. The, the idea we're going to take down all the borders, we're not going to have restrictions on immigration or the free or, 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 or trade or, 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 or anything. That we, every, everybody's going to be free to be part of one thing. And Europe itself you know, has no borders, right? Your, 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 Europe didn't know and still doesn't know to this day hmm. how many countries on earth it's going to expand to embrace. And its entire project the, of the European elites is creating uh, uh, world courts and, uh, and world economic bodies to regulate everything on earth and get everybody on one page doing, doing, doing one thing. So, so there's an argument between the Europeans and the Americans. Should the Americans be invading Iraq? But there's no argument about what the project is. Mm -hmm. There's no argument about the idea that we don't actually need diversity among nations. We, we don't need independent nations. We need one central thing that's going to govern everything. So is the simplest way to encapsulate their argument is that's like the, I get the di there's this dystopian idea or sort of that by freeing everybody or something that, every, that you know we'll just ignore thousands of years of history and we're all going to love each other or something like that but with the more 
um, nefarious version of this is that, well, one world government, now you can absolutely control everybody. I mean, would you say that's really the heart of this? It's really about control, not it's, freeing uh, everybody, you, right? You're exactly right. It's, well, they, they say they're freeing everybody, but their idea of freedom is, is, is uh, you know, l l let me take j just a, a small example from, you know, from being an Orthodox Jew. I think this applies to everybody, but, uh, but um, uh, they have an idea of what human rights is. And they, they're sure that their idea of human rights is true for everybody on Earth. Never mind the fact that, you know, every five or ten years, the content of it actually moves. <laughs> right. Right. But at we're, any given we're moment, right this right? moment. Yeah. But at any given moment, they think that they know, you know, what you know, what the absolute, you know, what, what reason with a capital R, what it dictates is the the true setup for rights for everybody on earth. So um, so as an Orthodox Jew, um, I, I I I immediately run in, into problems with this. Why? Because uh, we, we have a tradition going back thousands of years of, of, uh, of cir circumcising our, 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 our male children. And, and it's, it's, it's a, uh, a central symbol of, um, of uh, both the, the, uh, of the hardship of joining the Jewish people and, uh, and, and going into covenant with God. That's our tradition. You don't have to like it or not like it. That's the way do thing, we do things. It's incredibly important to us. Now, now the, the, the universal reason people, they come and say, well, look, you're violating, violating the rights of the child. And so you're not allowed to do that anymore. We're, 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 we're going to ban it. Or um, we have a, uh, a, a method of, of uh, sl slaughtering animals uh, for, for, for food that goes back thousands of years, co kosher slaughter. And uh, from our traditional understanding, this is, uh, this is humanitarian, right? The, 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 the Jewish kosher slaughter, it, 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 its aim is to eliminate, among other things, to, to eliminate things like uh, uh, hunting and, and tearing animals apart and doing all sorts of other horrible things. No, there's only certain animals you're allowed to slaughter and you have to slaughter them in a certain way, which, which traditionally we thought that's the most painless way. But now the, the, uh, the, the universal human rights people, or in, a, in this case, the universal rights people, they come and say, no, you, you can't slaughter your way because we know the answer of, of, you know, of the best way to slaughter an animal, and so you're going to do it our way. I mean, mm -hmm. look, basically what they're saying is, is you're not allowed to be a Jew. You're not allowed to be a traditional Jew because we figured out the answers. We figured out the answers for everybody. And if you want to do it, do, do, to, to, to do your traditions, then, then we'll shut you down. Now, th that same argument is true that I just gave for Orthodox Judaism. It's true for everybody. It's true for every tradition. There's mm -hmm. no such thing as, as some professors in Germany sit and figure out the universal human rights for all time. And, and then we impose it on everybody without oppressing all the other people who have their own traditions of how to it, do it's things. It's so interesting to me because, as you know, I came from the left and I was yeah. a progressive and I saw this and then when I started waking up to it, that's sort of when people started caring about what I was thinking. But I remember thinking that even when the gay rights movement was happening in America, that there was this very odd thing that if you didn't get to exactly where they were on gay rights or gay marriage, right. the day they got there, that you were automatically a bigot. And it's like, right. what a crazy way of viewing the world because Barack Obama, who nobody in their right mind would think is anti-gay, he ran against gay marriage. He was right. not for gay marriage right. the right. first time he went around. So history, yeah. if these people win, 
<coughs> the long game. History will be not too kind to Barack Obama, and I guess we're going to have to take down his library, which is being constructed right now, I think. Yeah. They're going to have to take that down because he was against the human rights that are going to be very obvious to them this is you know, such, 20, 30 this, years from this is such, This is such an important point. I mean, the, the, the only way that you can keep... The, the only way that you can preserve um, a certain way of doing things or a certain idea is through um, through traditions that pass down an attitude of sacredness and giving honor to to that way of doing things. And you know, of course, nothing human is permanent. Everything changes a little bit from generation to generation. But um, but we see in you know, by look at, look, looking at the, 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 the Jews or in India or, or, uh, or, or in China, we, can see, we, we see that there are some things that can actually be uh, handed down over thousands of years. It, 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 it's possible. But this idea that our reason is just going to figure out the right thing and never mind the past, that's just, a, all it's doing is creating a permanent revolution mm-hmm. where every single generation, I mean, even every 10 years, it already devours and rejects and destroys the thing that it created just a few moments ago. Mm-hmm. All right, so th- there, there are some people who, you know, who, who, um, who in theory, they find that attractive. They, I, I mean, they're, they're uh, the, the, the well, some, young people usually right find that very attractive. Add, add like it, everything before us was right, awful, right, and we it, know. And it, 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 it's it, it, it's part of being apparently part of being human is that a lot of adolescents um, c- feel during their adolescence that really nothing is important other than the fact that I'm free and I decide to do what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know. It, it's not true of all adolescents, but it's true of a lot of adolescents. It's a very, very common thing, and, 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 and it's part of being human. But, um, but when, when you're a grown-up, um, you have to uh, take responsibility for questions like, um, is, is my nation, is my religion, are my traditions actually good? If I believe that they're good, if I believe they're contributing good to the world, then there are things I need to do in order to hand them down. It's not a few things. It's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- y- human beings, if, they're not, if, if, if they don't work really hard to uh, maintain the, the, the honoring of the traditions, the traditions get thrown out of the window and you're going to have nothing left. Now, I, 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 let, let's take something like um, free speech because I know you talk about it a lot. And free speech is people think about free speech as though... I mean, it's the standard thing to say is it's a right, it's a human right, it's in the Constitution, it's a uni- But people rarely, way too rarely, focus on the fact that the actual implementation of a regime of free speech is a tradition. Mm-hmm. It's a tradition. If, if uh, you need to work hard to raise your children to not tell the other one to shut up. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you need to train them over years. It, it makes you angry that your brother is saying that, that your sister is saying that. That makes you angry. I mean, the, the, they're constantly ready to go to war over, right? That's the way k- kids are. And you have to train them and work on them and work on them to civilize them. Allow the other one to speak. I know that it's making you angry, but allow them to speak. Let them talk. Then you'll get your turn. Now, that, that 
little family vignette, it's actually true of the, of, of the entire civilization. Mm-hmm. The fact that, that you can have a, you know, a, a country where m- most people are willing to allow someone else to say what they think even though they disagree, that's an incredibly <laughs> difficult tradition <laughs> to inculcate, yeah. to, to raise people to do that. That's a fight that you have to refight in, 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 in the education of, of the entire country and every generation. It's, you, there's no point in asserting it because it's reasonable. It's not about whether it's reasonable. It's about what, do, what are you willing to do to make these traditions channel people in such a way that, guess what? They're not free. Someone says something you don't like, then you're not free to just start, start cursing them out like people do on Twitter. You're not free to do that because self-restraint, self-constraint, is the only way that freedom of speech is going to exist in your country. That means that we need to focus on, on the constraint part, on how do you get people to not do whatever they want. That's the only way that free speech can continue to exist. Right? So, so the, the, even, even the things that seem to be like the, the most valuable freedoms, are they exist because they are Anglo-American traditions. And if you're running a revolution where you're overthrowing one tradition after another after another, nothing is going to be left of the things that we value, including the freedoms. So, all right, so that being said, and that's, that could have been the ending right there because that's how you cap a show, right? But if everything you said is true right there, then how concerned are you for the future? Because it does seem that the forces that you are fighting against in this book are getting stronger. Yeah, it's ter- it, it it it's very frightening. It, it on on the free speech thing, you know, uh, a generation ago, I was at university, and um, I I, uh, I I started the, uh, the the Princeton Tory. It's the it was the the, the pro Reagan publication on on the university campus, and um, of course, lots of people didn't like it. Conservatives were a minority. Um, and people call me names, people, you know, there's all sorts of nastiness, but nobody ever thought it was illegitimate. It's a different era. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we had friends who were, who were liberals, and we had friends who were progressives. Nobody thought that our publication, that mm-hmm. our pro-Reagan, that our conservative publication, that it was illegitimate, Yeah. right? They didn't think, no, you're not allowed to say that. And this is where someone like Ben Shapiro, who often is just saying the things that Reagan said that were yeah. thought of as and, and legit to, and 20 to, years ago. And today people are, there's lots of things. Yeah. So in those days, I would just say whatever I, you know, whatever I thought. I would write whatever I wanted. I, th- that's how I grew up. But I, I tell my children, you know, and I, I'm ashamed of this, but, but it's true. I tell my children, no, look, there's things you believe that you're, you're not allowed to say anymore. And I, I wish it weren't like that. I, I'd like to see it change, but right now there's no point in like in in you know throwing away your your uh, your your capacity to earn a living and to do good on all sorts of fronts because you insist on just saying whatever you want to say. I, I can't stand it, but that's that's the reality. Is that is that the uh, um, the, the 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 zone for 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 freedom of speech is is rapidly rapidly closing it's getting narrower and narrower and um and and that's just one example of the things that we've lost i'm i I think it's a very it's a very frightening period but let me just say one positive thing because i mean uh, look i can easily plot a trajectory where um where uh where america doesn't make it through this 
but let me look at the other possibility. This is also a, a moment of great opportunity um, because it's, there's a, a tradition among diplomats that you, you, you read sometimes in, um, in history books that a kind of a legend that the world uh, is like an, uh, an ice cap, the political world is like an ice cap and every, every once in a while it, it unfreezes and it breaks up and it rearranges itself. So like every 50 years or every 75 or every 100 years. And we really do seem to be in a period like that mm -hmm. where, where all the bets really are off. And um, that will, you know, hopefully draw to the front um, creative, strong uh, people who have, um, who have something important to offer to the refreezing, the re, uh, re, construction of, um, of the world that's coming. Um, this reconstruction, you know, it, it, it can be something absolutely horrendous and I don't, we shouldn't kid ourselves. We're really moving in a bad direction. But um, the reason that I find uh, the nationalist movements encouraging in, in America and the UK and other countries it's not because it's not because you know I I support everything that every one of these people say or do I actually have absolutely no idea what most of them you know are going to do and a lot of them are, are new to politics and we don't actually know what they're going to do mm -hmm. but but what I uh, but I do see the opportunity I don't I don't know if it's going to turn out well but I do see clearly the opportunity when um, when right, because the national movements movements could take a turn for the worse, right? They could they turn to could. to things that are about race the, the, and ethno-nationalism the, the, and those types. The, of things. They they certainly could, and and uh, and that is actually one of the things that that uh, that I say when I when I go around give, giving talks is I I've noticed that many conservatives um, dismiss the the racist right. They I mean they have a um, a lot of conservatives, they look, they, they, they're looking at, you know, how strong is the, the, the Nazi party or the KKK? And, and, and they are, they're trivial. I mean, they're, they're absolutely trivial. And it's completely unfair to associate conservatism with that. And, and, and so it's reasonable in the sense that they dismiss it. But, uh, but looking at the, level of, at the level of ideas of who's, who's thinking, who's trying to actually come up with a worldview that could a few years from now become some, something important, I think it's a mistake to to dismiss the far right. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm not that I'm sympathetic to them, mm -hmm. but the the quality of the uh, of the the arguments, the the work that's being done by people to justify a kind of a neo-Darwinian kind of racism, like a white a white identity politics, they're actually doing quite a bit of work to get this idea into shape. Now. I, I detest it, right? I, 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 I hope it's soundly defeated, but it's really quite uh, attractive to uh, lots of people in their 20s and their 30s who are looking at, you know, the, the old liberal order and saying, oh my gosh, well, th that doesn't work, so, so where do we go? Um, and it means that, um, yeah, we have, those of us who are, uh, inclined to a national conservatism that is 
that has nothing to do with race. That that you know those of us who, th who think the color of your skin really should make you know absolutely zero difference in the way that we order society. There's so many important important issues. Why the color of your skin? Yeah. So those of us who who are uh, um, inclined to a national conservatism, uh, which will uh, believe in in the nation and its heritage, but ha have no interest in in you know in in the the genetic population that you know that 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 you supposedly came from. We have a lot of work to do to create something that's going to be sufficiently powerful. I'm talking about an idea that's sufficiently coherent and powerful and attractive, so that it will actually have uh, be able to be politically effective. Before these other guys, right, fight the forces. Right before before these other guys, you know. Before they win, I mean, right now they're not winning, but ten years from now, twenty years from now, I would, I think, all bets are off. We we don't know where this is going, and so so there is, there are dangers, but there's an opportunity to create a uh, a much more traditionalist, conservative, um, a, a a decent, moderate, common sense, traditionalist conservatism, which will be national which will be nationalist, which will, will, will believe in the traditions of nations and, and, and seek to maintain their independence. There's a space to do that. And it's exciting to be able to do that because that space hasn't existed. You know, for the last generation, it was, you know, no one wanted to hear it. It's well, a that's a conservative space that a good old-fashioned liberal could, could be okay with. You know, we've barely scratched the surface here, but we, right. we got a wrap for now. So I, okay. we, should, we should definitely do this again. Okay, can, I'd love to. Can I get you back here to the United yeah. States to do this again? Or maybe we'll I, do it in, in uh, Israel, we'll do it in Jerusalem. I, I'll do it either way. I'll, I'll, I'll buy you a steak next to the old city walls if you come to Jerusalem. Done right. and done. All right, okay. for more on Yoram, follow him on Twitter, Y Hazoni.